Hello there, and welcome to the sixth episode of our second season of Rebel Chums. We're on episode six You already. can't sneak in Star Wars references, because this isn't a Star Wars episode. Well, I was going to say that we're, as we're on episode six, this is sort of our return of the Jedi of this season, but whatever. <laughs> we, we are blasting through them, though. We're not doing Return of the Jedi, sadly, tonight. We are doing... A the, much better film. We are doing, in Jake's opinion, <laughs> and his opinion only... Not the views expressed of this podcast. Well, you don't think The Incredibles is a better film than Return of the Jedi? We shall get into that. <laughs> We're doing The Incredibles, as Jake has now revealed. <laughs> it's our 2004 instalment, or 2005 maybe? No, 2004 instalment of the, the Pixar saga, as it were. Um, I've been looking forward to this one. Jake's been very much looking forward to this one. Also, we have the dubious distinction this week of having our first ever all-male episode. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, <laughs> just to kind of peer behind the curtain for a second, we actually record these about a week or two before we upload them. And in a week where it's always sunny for the magic, <laughs> but everyone thought that these were live. Um, we'll do it live. We'll do it live. And in a week where it's always sunny in Philadelphia, I've done an all-female episode. Oh, I think yeah, it's only right we that we do an all-male episode. <laughs> Obviously, because true feminism isn't really feminism unless you balance out whatever women are doing with, by making men do the exact same thing. Yeah, precisely, yes. whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Most weeks, we're, we're sort of got the makeup of ABBA or perhaps Fleetwood Mac. This week, it's the Beatles. And our Beatles are... <laughs> Who am I? Rob... Can I be Paul? You can be You can be Paul. Actually, no, I'll be John, because I get the feeling that you'd like mm. to be Paul. Oh, that's fine with me. So You're I'll definitely... Be, I, I think, think you strike me as a George. But no, you don't you dare really? make me the Ringo. Oh, you also strike me as a Paul. Rob, Rob can be John. <laughs> Jake, who would you like to be this week? Um, Paul. I guess I'll be George. I actually want to be Ringo. And then hey. the voice of Ringo, which you can hear, <laughs> is, our, is our guest for this week, our very good friend Joe. Say hello, Joe. Hello, Thomas was very sad because he ran into a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thank you for having me on board. I've been looking for looking forward to this for a very, very long time. Because we let you pick whichever film you wanted to do, is why mm. did you pick this one? Why did you want to do The Incredibles? Um, it's the best Fantastic Four film ever made. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think what, to me, what um, The Incredibles, how it distinguishes itself from other kinds of Pixar films is there's always felt like there's been a very deep, like like a lot of depth for potential for something expanded. Like the first film came out and it it's the definition of wanting you, like leaving you to want more. Mm. And for years, that's why everyone was like, you know, where's the sequel? Like, what's going to happen? And With the Underminer and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, obviously they've expanded on that as of this year, but it's so rich already that it just, it's tantalised. And it's sort of like, you know, when you hear about, like, a legend or something, it's like, Mm. there's so much you could do, so many interpretations. It's kind of got that quality to me. So it's the one of all the Pixar films that sort of inspired the most imagination. Yeah, I mean, like, obviously they all have set out to do their own thing. And um, I mean, I was recent, I was reading today about how that was partially sort of like the idea behind most Pixar films is to kind of focus on standalones right from the get go. I think when Pixar was first off, when it first originated, Mm. it was kind of a rule of like, not don't do any sequels. Yeah, we've still only got one sequel at this point, haven't we? For Mm. quite a while, we're still going to only have one sequel. Yeah, and this hits it out of the park in so many ways. I mean, they all do, but The Incredibles in particular, 
I really feel, especially now, it is right at home in culture. It is just, it, it's nearly flawless. It really is. Well, we'll get more into that. We'll get more into the quality of it. Yeah, later absolutely. On. Okay. What about you two then? with your experiences of The Incredibles, because I get the feeling that we were all really, really looking forward to this one for some reason, and yet The Incredibles is not like a forgotten one, but I think if somebody said that The Incredibles was their absolute favourite Pixar film, you would kind of, you wouldn't challenge them, but you would kind of go, okay, you know, I respect your point of view. Mine's very simple, I'll just nip straight in, is that I, I saw it once when it first came out on DVD, I rented it from Blockbuster, that was all until me and Jake started going out and then a year or two ago you made me sit down and watch it with you and then we've watched it several more times since then and I've come to, I've come to really, really enjoy it. It's very, very good. Oh, good. Glad. And that's all. I have no more experience with it than that. So Jake, why did you make Andy watch it? <laughs> um, just because I imagine that like you must have had such a strong what? relationship with it like you've only seen this once like, how dare you well to, I'll, like, I'll be honest this is one of one of my favourite Pixar films I'm not going to give away the list of what my favourite ones are until we come to it um, but this is like relatively high on the list of Pixar films um, the reason I got Andy to see it is because I hadn't seen it in a long time from that point either mm -hmm. um, th I think this film's quite interesting in that um, a lot of Pixar films you have different experiences with them when you're a kid and so when you're an adult. Yeah. And I think this is very distinct in that because mm -hmm. when you're a kid, the main drawer of this film is the superpowers. It's just cool. It's cool seeing all the characters do superhero stuff. It's cool seeing Daff run really fast. It's cool seeing Violet use a weird force field, which, by by the way, is by far the coolest power in the whole film. Oh, God, is yeah. a force field that just seems to have unlimited potential. She's the scarlet watch of this film. She's so powerful. She's so OP. Like, if she was in Overwatch, she'd always play as Violet. Can you define OP for people who don't have the jargon? Overpowered. And so I really loved it as a kid, and I'd watch it all the time because I'd just be absolutely fascinated with all the powers in it. And then watching it as an adult, obviously nowadays it's completely different anyway because we're so surrounded by superhero films. Watching it in the context of what film is like now is very different anyway. That's the most interesting thing about it for me, though. Yeah. It's evolved. Which is also very interesting for the sequel because the sequel is obviously. But we're not talking about the sequel. We'll get to the sequel mm. at another point. Yeah. <laughs> um, this film is fascinating as an adult because no, no longer are the superpowers the main drawer of it. The main drawer of it is the relationships between all the family members in the film. Yeah. That is just like so lifelike in this mm. film. This is the best thing about this film, in my opinion. Now, is just the dialogue between all of the members of the family because it feels like a living, breathing family, like you don't get in most films. Mm. You say, you know, you have different experiences watching this film as a kid and as an adult, because when I was a kid and I first watched this, I was about nine, maybe, no, I think it's about ten, yeah, ten, eleven years old, okay. and I had a stupid crush on Violet, <laughs> and I now, that. I get that, and now, thinking about watching it, as, watching it as an adult, I have a stupid crush on Elastic. Especially after Edna. No, no, yeah. but um, I used to watch this film loads, like loads. As much as Finding Nemo and not as much as Toy Story 2 as we established earlier yeah. this season, but nearly as much as Finding Nemo because, again, it's just another one I had on DVD as a kid. It was one that just got thrown on. I know most of the beats, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to this because my experiences with this have suddenly become, in the past couple of years, have become really wide-ranging because the band whose song we used in the intro <laughs> for this episode... So. Um, the guitarist is Spencer Fox, mm. and Spencer Fox voices Dash. 
Ah. in The Incredibles yeah. doesn't voice Dash in Incredibles 2 they replaced him because obviously yeah. he's in his late he 20s now, now and he's in Charlie Bliss you can't and he's in Charlie Bliss yeah so I'm Charlie Bliss are band. a cool band but um, big up yeah. other bands are available <laughs> but yeah, no. But not all bands have a uh, you know someone in them who voiced Dash from The Incredibles. <laughs> Can I you know, just quickly address a nation of mid noughties um, casual fans of the film in that she is not called Mrs. Incredible. No, which is what everybody used to call her. She's not called Mrs. Incredible. It's Elastigirl. You know what made us watch this film? Because every time we were in the car and we were going somewhere, I would always quote this film where it goes, we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> and Andy always wondered what that was from. And so I ended up showing him the film. So it's really, it's really you know, you've got me to thank for first watching it several times. Wow. Sorry, let's continue. Let's, let's continue. Yeah, Rob. are we going to, I was going to say, are we just going to jump in? I think we are ready to jump in. Ready, willing, and able. Shall we dive? Yep. Shall we parachute in with a giant elastic woman? Let's yes. Go. When are we going to get to the other side, Andy? We'll get there when we get, get there. there. <laughs> this is fun. That's fine. I mean, I can break through walls. I just can't. That's fine. This. Oh. <laughs> Times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for 10 minutes? I'm at the top of my game. I'm right up there with the big dogs. Girls, come on. Leave the saving the world to the men? I don't think so. Super ladies, they're always trying to tell you their secret identity. Think it'll strengthen the relationship or something like that. Mode. Your sword can stretch as far as you can and still retain its shape. Virtually indestructible and machine washable, darling. That's a new feature. Well, hello. We've just finished The Incredibles. Um, what did we all think? Monster Incredible! Slenderman. <laughs> <laughs> Initial thoughts. In, in, let's say in a word. Rob. Oh, fantastic. Jake. Um, Joe. Fantastic. And I'll say enjoyable. That was cheating, <laughs> Joe. <laughs> That's not <laughs> cheating. <laughs> no, really, I, I mean, I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. We, we all. I, I was writing yeah. the weirdest points because um, because I, I kind of thought from you, Rob, like just to write down a few points, and <laughs> I just wrote down like just they're not even points. Like you can see, they're just sort of words. Like oh, this. <laughs> to be honest, as long as you write something down that you can come back to, and you go, oh yeah, I remember what I was thinking about when I wrote this. It's mm. it, that's generally how it goes. But you know, the way we usually do it, Joe. Favorite character, yeah, Joe. Favorite My character. favorite character. Um, the thing is, with something like The Incredibles, I mean, it's kind of, to talk about my favourite character, I actually kind of find difficult in the space of the sequel, which obviously I'm not going to 
about mm-hmm. really you know because obviously there's meat to that it's a very ensemble film to me and I think every character kind of gets their time to shine like even though Mr. Incredible is clearly the protagonist I'm, I'm equally captivated by you know Helen by the kids Syndrome like everyone. Edna Edna <laughs> like it, it, it I didn't say at the beginning but one of the strengths of The Incredibles and I think what it does you know maybe maybe the best of any of the Pixar films from around that period is the characters like they're just incredibly fleshed out <laughs> what you see <laughs> I'm going to laugh every time we say that something to do with Incredible <laughs> it's incredible are you just going to have a counter that just activates like ding but unfortunately, we do have an incredibly strict format. You do have to. I do have to pick, and you can be like all hippie-ish. Oh, all all of the characters are my favourite characters. So you got to pick one. Hippie-ish. Pick one. Pick Hippie-ish. one item from the cast list. <laughs> well, if we're going off that, then I mean, it does have to be Mister Incredible, just solely based on the fact that he gets the most focus in the film, and I'd say that's also because you know. Like something I wrote down, and I didn't even realize this till our viewing is he challenges like the idea of like sort of a very masculine goal throughout the film. In that, there's the luxury of he wants to fight crime and he wants to be a part of that life again. And he kind of realizes by the end, you know, when his family genuinely look like they're going to die and they have died, because I think then he really feels the weight for the first time in his career where he's like, I want to be a part of this life, but. I, no way do I ever want my family to be threatened. I, like, that is worth way more to me. Jamie only realises that after his family's killed, or at least after mm. he thinks they're killed. Yeah. It lacks some finesse, I think. I, I, I like I like Bob as a character, but I do think his arc, which is the sole focus of the first half of the film, I think that does get a bit lost. Because you say that oh, towards the end when he thinks his family's died, that's like right in the middle. Yeah. When he thinks mm-hmm. that. And from that point on, he's kind of just one of the ensemble. Yeah. It's kind of a muddy yeah, but, track. Yeah, I think the character arcs, so to speak, a lot stronger in the second half. When the character arcs are the family, the family arc, and how they mm-hmm. can Well, that's the, the thing, it's equally the reverse in that in the first mm-hmm. half of the film, especially the, especially Dash and Violet are just kind of extras, really, in the first half of the film. Yeah. And they really take Cool extras, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, when the family gets to bounce off each other, that's when. When they're all together in scenes, I think those are the best ones. Yeah. Definitely, when they're all together. It's almost like cooking a meal to me. It's like, you've got sort of like, you know, Mr. Incredible is kind of like the steak of the like, of the meal, and then you have the kids that are like spices, you know. Like, it slowly... You spices on your steak. I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, or maybe he puts ketchup on it. Maybe the metaphor is <laughs> not quite the best it could be, but, you know, it, it, characters slowly get added... Mr. When they need to be added. Mr. Incredible is the steak, the children are the ketchup, and the director and writer, Brad Bird, are Donald Trump's tiny hands. <laughs> <laughs> what does that have to do with it? <laughs> Knife and fork. And on that level, though, who wants to go next? Jake, next? Yeah. Only because I fear if you go next, you will steal my favourite character. I think I probably would have. Yeah. Obviously, my favourite. Actually, favorite. no, probably not. Like, oh, if anyone knows Get me, name anyone likes. obviously would know that my favourite character is Elastigirl. Yeah. Just like, Elastigirl? Oh, I mean, Elastigirl. Um, as Joe said, I, I think in the context of Incredibles 2, you would have said Elastigirl as well, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, because over the arc of both of those films, she's she probably by far yeah. the most developed and was the main one of the series. Mm-hmm. I like her in this one because she is almost always right. Mm-hmm. Like, 
She just is. And yeah. I like as well that she's not awesome in spite of being a mum. She's awesome because she managed well, to the, be a mum. Well, they established that very early on that they don't let her, um, the fact that she's a woman get in the way of it yeah. with that yeah. V-tape at the start of that. Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't, I don't think, think so. so. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, think so. so. She's, yeah. I, She's so cool. <laughs> I, know, yeah. I know it's kind of a weird point, but you just made me think. She's a little bit like the protagonist from The Secret of Nim, in that, you know, she's like kind of a mother who, like, you know, she's very. I think we've somehow her. found a weirder reference. I, I know. Yeah. Obvious Game of Thrones ones. <laughs> I haven't made yeah. one of those in weeks. Leave me alone. <laughs> well, I only mean in terms of, like, how a character can be. Completely black, like badass, but also very humble about it. You know, they're not, you know, showboating or anything. They're just getting on with it. She's all business. She's by far the pra- the practical character of the yeah. all. She's the only one at all that's level-headed throughout the whole thing. Uh, she's by far the most practical of them all. She's level-headed throughout the whole thing, like Mister Incredible, where it takes like two thirds of the way through the film from start to see sense. She's already developed as a character at the very start. Um, and she's already a very good character to start. It does mean that we don't get as much of an arc with her. Like, most of um, Elastigirl's development is focused on the relationship that she has with Mr. Incredible, where it goes through a bit of strain, and then it turns out to be all right in the end. So from the start of the film and the end of the film, she's largely the same character, which is fine, though, because she's such a cool and awesome character well, to start. yeah, I agree. I, I think the arc is not always the most important thing with characters. I think for a character to arrive fully formed, Sometimes just shows the strength of a character. Yeah, I think I think that's sometimes okay. I would actually disagree. Do you think? Really? I think she has an arc. I don't know what it is. It only really started. Come. It only really came into my thoughts once I read a review of um, the second Incredibles film, where it was like Brad Bird has a bone to pick with people who get in the way of people who are naturally gifted and talented. Uh. He has oh, a so real that's... bone to pick. So he sees Elastigirl as a bit of a downer on Mr. And Incredible. I think at the beginning he sees, I mean, and it's the same with Mr. Incredible. Mr. Mr. Incredible's own downfall is that he, it's not that he's just trying to live his superhero days again, it's that he's trying to be the masculine hero again because he's never like, hey, Helen, do you want to do you want to come and join me on these like superhero no, police kind of things? He's trying like to keep a... it a secret for himself because it's like I am a man; I should save the day. Yeah, and, and he's not averse to working with other people because he helps. He gets frozen. He gets frozen. On it, so there's no reason yeah. why. So you it is. I think it is a bloke thing. And as over the course of the film, Mister Incredible realizes that he can't do it all himself, and that maybe he does need Elastigirl to help him. But at the same time, Elastigirl realizes that Dash and Violet are both naturally talented. And should be allowed yeah. not to just try out for sports and stuff like that, but should be allowed to be a superhero too. Yeah, but, yeah. And I, I think that's why Syndrome is the villain because he's not naturally gifted. He makes all of his powers. He builds them all out of machines, and that's Mister Incredible's problem with him. He's not. I mean, yes, okay, it's because he's a boy at the beginning, but it's because he's not naturally gifted. He's essentially stolen the gift that Mr. Incredible was born with. And it's a similar thing that he does in the second film as well, which we'll get into a little bit more later on, obviously, like in the series, whenever the hell we do Incredibles yeah. 2. <laughs> but I think Elastigirl's arc, she's not necessarily like, an, she's not like a block or an obstruction or anything like that. She's just someone who has to kind of... She needs to be a little more flexible. flexible. Yeah, she does need to be a little bit more flexible. Yeah, yeah. I think... Oh, maybe... God, if that's the intent, then that is just... Um, yeah, I, I think in that, yeah. I guess in that respect, it's sort of a classic compromise style character arc where mm. both of the characters start 
at different ends of the spectrum and then both of them sort of and they kind of cross and then go past each other yeah Yeah. it's a bit ships passing the night a little bit but kind of the thesis of it where they sort of like you know kind of see a bit from each other's perspectives and like yeah we both learned something here Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. no i mean it's really simple but i think it's with these two it's that effective because the family dynamic is so strong yeah that i think you they're so well-rounded and so rich that you completely are over sort of like you can get you are completely won over by the way that everybody especially the main four i mean you, you don't really include Jack jack in this but like the no. way the main four characters all kind of like bounce off each other and interact with each other and it's built really early on mm. the way that um uh helen and violet have this kind of like personal relationship with each other that's kind of established over something really simple she where she's like you know what are you hungry for we have steak pasta what do you want and then Dash is like, huh, she'd eat if we were having the Tony loaf of the boy that she loves. And then and then just before that, Mr. Incredible is like trying to egg on Dash with yeah. like, oh, your God, you, how fast were you going? Like, God, this is incredible. And that's going to be impossible to avoid. So we'll try it. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, but in the middle of I that, Helen and Ron have an argument. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can we replace every use of the word incredible with incredible boy? <laughs> incredible. That's really incredible. Wow. <laughs> Monsieur Incredible! <laughs> well, well, if we don't have anything else more to say about Elastigirl, could I. Um, I I'm trying to think. I don't think so. Well, well, I'm well, sure we can always come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. Could well, I jump on to. Well, Elastigirl is my favourite character, but second favourite uh-huh. is probably um, Syndrome. Okay. Oh yeah. I think Syndrome is probably my favourite Pixar villain. Mm. I think he's really I mean, he's in the film a lot less than I remembered. Yeah. He is in the film a lot less than I remembered, but I think he kinda gets to the heart of what Brad Bird is trying to say with this, this kind of like, please let naturally talented and gifted people excel at life. Don't put them in office jobs, don't hide them away from the world because things go wrong occasionally. Like it's worth letting talented, creative people Basically, you know, it, if five, ten percent of collateral damage is worth it, then you know the other ninety percent is really special. And with with syndrome, it's like tr- I, I think what Brad Bird is trying to say is that like it's this this idea of like celebrating mediocrity that like somebody who basically just is a dab hand at inventing. They keep finding it's, new ways to celebrate mediocrity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and I never caught that the first time. Oh, and he's like, and there's yeah. that line where it only really made me think of it when Mr. Incredible's like, um, you're killing off all the other superheroes just so you can pretend to be one. And it's like this, it kind of, the film reveals itself in that moment. Yeah. And I think Syndrome is supposed to be this like imposter, this... Well, he is the whole thing. He is an imposter, but at the same time, I think he is quite complex. And it's not like you understand him. It's not like you agree with him, but you understand him. Because his methods are terrible, but I think where he stands, where where he comes from, haven't we all wanted to, I don't know, play football next to David Beckham? Haven't we all wanted to stand on stage next to... Beyonce, haven't we all wanted to be like because we know that we can't be I mean, we the ha- special person yeah. with the microphone, we can be the sidekick who stands next to them. And I think we all understand that, but at the same Not time Not to the extreme where we want to kill everyone who's better than oh us God. or something. Exactly, yeah. but this um, is why he's the villain rather exactly, than yeah. 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 a and sympathetic no, side character. And I love all the I mean to be honest, I love all the technology that he builds. 
I love this island he's built for himself. Yeah. I'm not sure where he's got the money from, but like the island is one of my favorite locations well, also, in how, any how film. How does like the UN not know about this island that's just got these <laughs> yeah. killer robots on it? Well, yeah. Why well, well, is yeah. no happening though? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, man is, no man is an island. Yeah. yeah. That was good. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if we're kind of tying into like that whole idea of like how does the UN not know and everything is, I sort of thought to myself throughout this film is that the government kind of operates a very it, the government has a role in the film. And yeah. I think it's quite will of the people. It's sort of very competent in very a way. Mm. Yeah, like how they shut down the supers. And the reasons are very clear and very well explained. I mean, that is good structure at the very start, isn't it? Mm. A very good yeah, way it's a to, great, great, yeah. really, really great, great sequence. I mean, I think as well with the. Um, with regards to like this standing in the way of special people, I think it's like, you know, Brad Bird is basically saying office jobs stand in the way of great people, the government stands in the way of great people. Why? Great people stand in the way of themselves. And then right at the end of the film, when the supers are back again, everybody's like, oh, they've come back. And then it's kind of like Brad Bird's way of saying, look, everybody would be completely fine if creative and great people weren't stifled by all of the things that are placed in front of them. Because the reaction to superheroes at the beginning of the film is really hostile. Like there's loads of protests, like hang up the cape and stuff. And then there's like um, lobbyists and government officials kind of saying like you know time for their secret identity be- to, to become their own identity, identity. Jesus, yeah. great hand movements as well um in the, from from that woman but then when the <laughs> well super- done woman yeah <laughs> but when when the superheroes are actually back 15 years later and fighting this big monster everybody's like oh no actually no we we did miss them and kind of cheap yeah, yeah, it's very annoying that they only seem to miss the superheroes when their lives are in danger any other time. Yeah. Like, you know, or get rid of them, they're really annoying. But there's but... no, like, uh bloody superheroes, you know, like, cause, yeah. about, you know, causing all this mess. You know, the, the, the evil monsters weren't here while the superheroes weren't here, that kind of thing. But, this, yeah. the, I mean, I suppose they don't really have time for mm-hmm. that. But no, I, I, I love Syndrome. I think he's a really good villain. Might be my favourite Pixar villain. I think definitely I have to think about that. Definitely the most but, interesting and complex. Yeah, one. I think so because yeah. he's complex and you can understand him at least. It's kind of it's not like the best example, but like I mean, I make a confession. I'm not I'm not really a big fan of like the Marvel Cinematic <gasps> Universe, but I found in Infinity War to be interesting because I could at least understand where Thanos was coming from. Again, his methods are terrible, but his methods making the villain. But his idea that they needed to preserve stock essentially and save ultimately save the race by wiping half of it out instead of yeah. just doubling all the resources In, yeah but, <laughs> yeah. It, but that's yeah. what makes him the villain but at least you can kind of understand where he comes from and i think syndrome's kind of the mm. same where like you as you get older you can sympathize with him yeah. a little bit i mean I, you Absolutely. know i was saying before that like you know watching it as a kid you have a crush on violet watching it as an adult you have a crush on elastigirl <laughs> but it seems that watching it as a kid you just hate syndrome and want him to die well and then as you watch him as you get older you still don't want him to win but you can at least understand what he's exploiting yeah i, I mean I, i'll admit and i'll be kind of quick on it for now is I, i've never thought to consider it from that perspective because i mean i have to admit moral of the film is something that i've really grappled with for years because I've never it's never quite sat well with me I have to admit in how it's explained I think mm. the way it's done makes sense when I can see like how Brad Bird was thinking of it but I think how I've personally interpreted it is that it's it sort of misses a point in a way um I mean obviously I'll, I'll sort of get into this a little bit more later but I mean obviously Andy it's kind of your term for the favorite yeah oh, I completely forgot. well I, I... 
I'll shelve that for a minute. Two things I want to say. First of all, just while we're talking about that random woman, senator, whatever, yeah, who wants yeah. to... With the uh, great hand movements. There's a random casting gag, I think, in Batman vs Superman, where there's an identical female senator who wants yeah. to hold... Played by Elastigirl. Yeah, who wants VA. to hold the superheroes accountable. Who is played oh, Holly by Hunter. Holly Hunter, who yeah. plays Elastigirl. Ah. So I think that's probably an intentional... Yeah. Oh, by the way, her. we were talking about uh, Elastigirl before. I love Holly Hunter's voice. Yeah, yeah, she's she's so like, so her voice yeah. sounds like she's got golf balls in her mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she's excellent. <laughs> I love it. We got yeah. steak, pasta, what are we having for? It's amazing. She's actually Robert Parr. Her voice is so distinctive and... I, I absolutely, yeah, I live a lot. In your golf nine ninety, there are children on board. There are children on board. <laughs> you need to be a little bit more flexible. <laughs> Picking up on what you said about syndrome, I, I completely agree with you with a lot of it. To be honest, um, I don't know whether it's just because this time I'm watching the film more actively. You know, I'm kind of you know watching it in an analytical way for this, and I've never really watched it in that way before. But most of the time, I never really got how syndrome was connected to it all. Like he was just kind of the story. And I didn't realise until this time how he is so heavily tied into all of the themes of the film. Many different ways as well. Like, there's a lot of different layers to him. Like, it's not it's not just the whole um, that he has Pretending. no powers thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for a starter, he actually proves the point right about superheroes being out of control because he then does actually go on to, you know, he's a potentially super-powered person who then goes on to, years later, attack the city and try and mm. kill people. So for the starters, there's that, and then he does actually sort of prove the point right about it. Then there's the whole debate about the mediocrity thing. Mm. But then he sort of ends up encouraging mediocrity by giving everyone special powers, in which case no one is special. Again, which ties it's directly that, into the thing that Dash said at the beginning. Yeah, no if ever, everyone is special, then no one is. Yeah. And it's, again, yeah. it's this idea with Brad... I, I imagine Brad Bird, is at one point in his life, has kind of sat and gone... God, they really are devaluing university degrees by letting so many people in, aren't they? But then, like, you know, yeah. it's just, it, it, that's a very loaded it's, it's point. Just, yeah. It's lovely how Syndrome is tied into all these things and it makes him a much better film. Because I think there's far too many films, especially superhero films, where all the kind of thematic work is done through the protagonists and their journeys. And the villain yeah. is just mm. the story. It's just the plot device. Like, there's a lot of Marvel mm. films where the villain is just disconnected from everything and they're just yeah. there to be a villain. I should add at this point that, yeah. like, I don't agree with what Brad Bird is saying. It's no, just no, I no, think no, that's yeah, what yeah. he is trying to yeah. say. But, yeah. But, yeah. but anyway, I just think that the best villains are the ones who are actually tied into the themes of the film. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, um, and this is a really good example of it. And I thought he was very impressive. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It's like how they say, you know, like, the best lies have a little bit of truth I mean you can almost kind of say like the best villains have a little bit of a point you know yeah yeah because you have to you have to understand it's it is pointless having underdeveloped one note villains in this Mm. kind of in this universe I mean I know that like yeah okay like you know hooray Rob's gonna make a Game of Thrones reference but (laughs) I'm looking forward to it honestly the easiest one I jump to is that the reason Joffrey is a better villain than Ramsay is because Joffrey's not one note and Ramsay is yeah Ramsay is a sadist who likes torturing people and playing games with people Joffrey's this craven snivelling little piece of shit but like he's a child who can easily be reined in by somebody slapping him and it's what makes him a better villain and to compare it to like the Marvel universe, what's um what's her face in Thor Ragnarok? Is it Kate? Is it Kate Blanchett? Oh, Kate Blanchett. Hella. Hella. Yeah, she's on screen for what fifteen minutes of that film, holding some kind of siege on the planet, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever. And then 
with Thanos is just way more complex, way more interesting, more to get into, and that's why they're going to make two films out of what he's doing. I think Thanos is a is, is a very good comparison because he's a very similar type of villain, is and he? that's yeah. another one of what I'm saying mm-hmm. where all the themes of the film are around him. And um, what was the other one? Oh, Zemo from Civil War is another good one as well, where he's part of the yeah. story. He's part of what the film is trying to say. Mm, yeah, except he's just such a minor character. No, yeah. but you know what I mean. That, that, so I, I think that's that always well. the best thing you can do with a villain is you know not have them. Be I mean, not to start a discussion about civil war. But civil war's on. problem is that it's got too much focus on the civil war aspect well, of it to the expense yeah, of yeah. everyone. Like, like, anyway, that's your favorite <laughs> fighting each other. That's exactly. the potential maybe Marvel season that we might do. In yeah, Rebel Chum season when three. When there is nine hundred yeah. MCU films, and my favorite character. I wonder who I will pick, darling. The teacher. Yeah. <laughs> Excuses? I, I think not. I um. I, I used to work in a shop. Um, wow. Of a very. Oh, I wasn't going to name it. Okay, but I used to work in Sainsbury's, and I had a manager who was Edna. Like that's not exactly a taller version of Edna. She, well, really? she wasn't much taller. She was very, very short. She had the same sort of bowl bob. She had big glasses. She had a similar kind of raspy voice. She was similarly odd. Just think of it every single time. Was she in drag? I mean, but anyway, she, she's, she, she's a Edna is just an absolute riot. She's the breakout character of the film, really, isn't she? Mm. she well, she's the, a branding, isn't she? Yeah, she, she, she's yeah. Sort of, so like, the point where they kind of shoehorn her in in the second film, just because. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. She, she plays, she's there for the trailers, and that's it. Yeah, it's good that it, she's she's a twist on because there's so many Bond tropes in this film, and she is like Q. Yeah, but she's such a good reinvention of it, and that she's this, you know sassy little woman instead of this old man who's like here are your devices 007 she's like look at your new suit darling it's such a <laughs> different way of doing it yeah she's your proper like what's the name of the art critic in like one of the really early episodes of the Simpsons who uh, then oh, ends up know, he, voicing the guy yeah. who was in Street Central Planet Mod. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. No, the, the art yeah. teacher but like it's that kind mean. of like eccentric yeah, they have the same like, voice actor yeah, yeah the, the like man eccentric because he turns up in Friends as the um Grab onto a sugar roll. John Lovitz. Oh, yeah, John yeah, Lovitz. Yeah, John Lovitz yeah. Oh, the film guy. Yeah. yeah, and also the guy who turns up in a later season playing a completely different character on a bad date with Rachel. But um, I live in an apartment yes. with two other oh guys. God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but like that's, that's a real good yeah, impression. But, but that's who Edna reminds me of. And, and I know it's a lime I, chap. I'm pretty sure. Do you want to make love? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that a late season episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, uh, season eleven or twelve. Um, it's incredibly important. It's you know whether it's eleven or twelve for the audience. Which one is it? Right? <laughs> I want to say season eleven, okay. but where you Frank? Sure? Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. Frank pretends to be an art critic called Ongo Gablogian. Yeah, and she's like, and oh, it's like a really deliberate kind of mimicking of Edna Well to the point where like he puts on like the yeah, white wig and yeah, it's like terrible yeah. darling. Suddenly oh, we yeah. have alienated our audience from people who like Pixar films to people who like Pixar films, also like Friends, also like Simpsons, and also like Always Sunny. Which and our really Venn nice. diagram is Rob. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, it, it's, yeah. Edna's just like, she's great fun. Yeah. Like, she's... I think she's says yeah. it at the perfect time as well, because it's the part of the film where it's just maybe starting to slightly mm. drag a little. And then she's... And maybe get a bit too serious so as well. And she's only in for, what, like a total of about five minutes, maybe? I think she's yeah. two scenes, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. two scenes, yeah. one with Robert, one with she Helen. She steals those scenes, because yeah. she's just yeah. such a cool character. I'm trying to think... Gay icon. I know, darling. I know. Absolute gay yeah. icon as well. I'm trying to. Think. She could easily yeah. be a judge on Drag Race. 
yeah. as long as there were no hips. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what you would call it because, in a way, I want to say she's like the comic relief, but it's not. Quite she is. That. She I is. Think more to it, I, think. I would say. I was thinking that that phrase, comic relief. I but, think she does yeah. qualify as that. Yeah. I think there's something more to it, but I don't know what it would be called. It's like comic relief, but there's something a little bit more developed about it. To be fair, I don't really think there is any development of a character. I think she's just. She, she's mm. just very interested as a character. There's a lot of stuff built into that character, mm. like that oh. she's she's so she's obviously yeah. an absolutely genius, Can but I, she's um, also a complete kook yeah. and really bitchy. And there's just a lot of facets to her. Can I bring which up, I really like? Yeah. Can I bring up the? Um, sorry, I'd, I'd, I'd hate myself if I didn't bring it up. But um, some like a very such a small detail that I love about a character is like when she's going on about the whole like no capes kind of thing, like. You know, it's played off as a laugh. Like, kind of, it's really morbid seeing these superheroes die. But you're like, oh, okay, it's just kind of. You know. It's not morbid. It's funny. Well, yeah, it's it's like a morbid <laughs> kind of funny, morbid when you think about it. But the thing is, there's like details apparently hidden throughout the film where you sort of get more of an inkling that she probably helped design their outfits with the capes. So mm. you can sort of infer that she feels responsible for their deaths. Hence why. I never look back on the past that well, distracts from the now. Probably should yeah. credit the Tumblr host you got that from. <laughs> look, my blog was <laughs> following not... it. I saw it on my feed. <laughs> That's not the original idea. The thing is, we know that there are other designers uh, because of Incredibles 2 where she names a couple of the yeah, designers. She does name so a couple there's no of reason the to think that she actually designed all She's of She's the only one. Well, maybe. But then I think you can... Even still, with how the overall we know is. she designed, Mr. Incredibles mm. costume also didn't have a cape. Well, still, but that's not to say that everyone had to have a cape. It could have just been a few. And then she was like, oh, wow, I should just not do that again. I mean, as we learned a few years back with Madonna at the Brit Awards, she was absolutely right. The capes are dangerous. <laughs> do you remember that? We know, so we definitely know that she didn't design Madonna's costume. <laughs> well, I like to picture Edna sat at home. With a large drink, just laughing at that. Like a brandy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darling. <laughs> That's what you get for wearing your cape, darling. <laughs> um, if we have anything more, do we have anything more to say about it now, or should we just jump straight into Let's, that first bit of the Let's film? jump right in. Okay, so, um, really stark opening, because it's such a small screen. Like, they do the whole 60s retro TV thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. With the uh, tiny teeth. I, I love the way they... It's vacuum tube. That, I mean, that's what it, like... I only know this because of the first season of the Eric Andre show because they do the same thing for laughs, mm -hmm. is that kind of method of filming was sort of called vacuum tubing, where basically it's sort of... I'm, I'm going to get crucified for this because I don't know exactly what it is, but it's basically... You don't know exactly what it is? Well, I want to. <laughs> I, I should read up on it. It's like, I think it's basically a very small camera is blown up to size because in the 60s, you know, technology was clearly not that no. advanced. So it's sort of, that's why it looks so boxy and so low quality, but there's a real charm and sort of, mm. you know, like it, it's kind of adorable how terrible it is. Yeah, they're, they're clearly, I mean, obviously they're not actually filming it, they're just animating it, so it's obvious that they're doing that to emulate that sort of feeling that was done mm. with them. Yeah, they're, they're really going for like the 60s report thing. Yeah. You forget that, that it's not being filmed at the beginning, to think they've actually deliberately made it look old and grainy. Yeah. That's a that's the thing. Really and I think for yeah. the film you sort of get that feeling because the direction is just a lot more visceral than mm. the other Pixar films. Mainly because it's an action film and um, obviously there's a lot more 
um, quick shots and stuff than you would usually get over a Pixar film. But because of that, it feels a lot more like it's actually being filmed. And it yeah. Awesome. That's, I, I think that's an overall point, is that it's the first one, and not to do down the directors of any of the other Pixar films, but this is the first one so far where I feel like I've felt the presence of a director where there's been like a director's kind of mm. voice to the film where you can see, you said it, didn't you, that, that you can feel like a kind of passion to what's been doing. Yeah. It feels like it's the vision of one person. Yeah. 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 There's was, a very obvious yeah. style to this film. Yeah. That the other Pixar films, obviously, they, while they have great direction, you don't feel the direction. You don't know. It's, it's invisible direction. It's direction that's there to service support on the characters. Whereas this is a direction that exists to make a style. Yeah, it, it works really well. I think I was thinking, especially I mean, in the first part of the film, where they're very quickly establishing that style. Yeah, I, I mean, something that I'd love to find out is one thing I noticed, you know, particularly in the beginning, but also throughout the film, is how snappy and you know, realistically witty the dialogue is, and it makes me think mm. because it was like a sole writer kind of sole director project is how many drafts he went through because it it seems like such a high caliber mm. project like he must have went through like far more than what you'd expect like quite a few mm. it's very ultra developed oh totally and it, like not to skip ahead here but even the scenes that you wouldn't naturally think have much work put into them like for example my favorite scene um the family find at the table scene um <laughs> like it, it's so i said it earlier on the way it's one of my favorite films because the conversations between the families are just so natural but that whole scene there, where they're, they're having these conversations that feel like an actual argument, um, but you can tell that so much work has gone into the dialogue mm -hmm. in those, yeah. and he's got, gone through so many drafts, like you said, mm -hmm. just to make it feel so natural, which uh, yeah. obviously is a bit of an oxymoron, but it just works so well. Exactly. It's like how um, some artists say, like, you know, you can paint an amazing painting if you train at it, but some artists trained until their old age to, like, learn how to repaint as, like, a, a child would. Mm. Simplicity sometimes very difficult if you overthink it in a way and you can yeah you can i agree you can see how much mm. effort went into making it so simply realistic in the beginning as well i'm just um i've just actually managed to get the script up on uh, imsdb which is the internet movie script database oh, wow. is it also on by amazon uh i don't know wowie but um but it's quite revealing that like the 15 years out of the game completely switches the perspectives of Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Because Mr. Incredible says, sometimes I think I just like the simple life, you yeah, know? Relax yeah. a little and raise a family. <laughs> and then Elastigirl says, settle down? Are you kidding? I'm at the top of my game. I'm right up there with the big dogs. Girls, come on. Leave the saving of the world to the men? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, and yet, like, wow. 15 years later, being told to go away, he can't adjust to it, but she's, like, perfectly happy. I guess they didn't realise. It's, 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 it's a nice little... Um... A few of the Pixar films do this, where they, they'll do it like a time skip or a scene skip or something where someone's just said something, but then it's like, well, reality bites. It's yeah. like the beginning of Up, where it suddenly cuts to like years later where he's old and unhappy. And I, I love it when a film opens like that, where they set up an expectation, they're like, well, no, that's not <laughs> <laughs> The beginning of Finding Nemo, where Marlin is incredibly like, um, he's bought this house right by the edge of the sea because he wants to be right at the edge of the ocean because he wants all this open space and all this mm -hmm. freedom. Mm. Then his wife and most of his children die, then cuts her however many years later and suddenly is a complete opposite. Yeah, it's like yeah. It's, worry, worry what. It's like you're being given a concept and then they go, but what if we look at it the other way? Yeah, yeah. you flip it round and mm. sort of force them to consider what they didn't want to consider, I think. Yeah, yeah. Excellent way to start a film because really it immediately gets the brain that's... looking at both sides. That's mm. crazy. Think about, you know, mm. 
and again, I feel bad because obviously I'm going to bring up a bit of The Incredibles too, and I, I don't <gasps> feel like I should, Sacrilege. especially. Yeah, that, that is probably is... quite fresh spoilers, so we probably should have warned about that at the beginning. But yeah, we haven't spoiled anything from Incredibles. No, yeah, depends on what he so, says. You know, um, hashtag spoil. Yeah, it's, it's sort of this the little snapshot of Elastigirl that you get in the beginning when you compare it to like how she is in The Incredibles too. It's like it's like wow, this is you can really see absolutely now that it's the same character because she's sort of finding that initial sort of like what she wanted right at the beginning she I, just came I back to her I agree with that yeah. I love that she refines that yeah. so palpably you know it's really really mm. good it's nice that's there in the first scene of the first mm. movie yeah. I, 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 I know we're still talking about the beginning of the film here I, I don't think I've ever seen a beginning of a film with so much blatant exposition to build the world really quickly, to get you absorbed into what the characters are, what this world is like, mm. the politics of this world, but have it work so well. As yeah, well. I don't yeah. Really. I, yeah, I was going to say, when you were saying this, I was about to argue back, but all of it feels really natural. Yeah. Totally, absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, go on, sorry, go on. like, you've got um, these politicians and the public arguing about whether superheroes should exist. Um, you've got all of the style of the 60s that sets a... To the style of the film really early on um, and the superhero characters they're set up really well you get a good hold of their characters then you've got all these flashing newspapers like um, how is the story progressing from here now that story, um, superheroes might be getting banned and then um, you've got the best shot to get it straight <laughs> into um, present day with that massive denied sticker yeah. like literally uh, denying you the rest of the story and that yeah um, but it's just like it's so information dense that whole sequence. But it's mm. just it, it doesn't feel like you're having an exposition dump, even though it's a really obvious exposition. I think it's. I yeah. mean, it kind of feeds into one of my favorite things about this film is that it really takes its time. Like there are bits of Monsters Inc. Maybe little bits of like Bugs Life. Where we're saying like the end of Bugs Life, it just ends. Toy Story like, is the worst for that. I think Toy Story just ends. Yeah, it just yeah. drops. It, yeah. And whereas with this. It just really, really, like, it's happy to be hour and 30, hour and 40. Yeah. It's not trying to get it all in under 90 minutes. It's like, really confident yeah. in itself. Yeah, it's yeah. happy to let yeah. it itself. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because I think this is the longest out. Pixar film we've had at this point, isn't oh, yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And, yeah. Um, but it, it works better for it because it's got more room to breathe. It's got more room to explore the characters and the mm. themes. There's no, like you said, there's no weird cut-off like there is a Toy Story where the film just sort of abruptly finishes. It comes to a... Um, a natural conclusion with the um, main plot, and then you've got something afterwards that leads you, yeah. um, you know, to the end of the actual film itself quite naturally, and it just it feels mm. like it's got more room to breathe, but at the same time, it still feels really compact and really fast paced, mm. yeah. and it never yeah. seems to slow down. And at it's the same time. perfect, yeah, because so as I mentioned at the beginning, is it it leaves you wanting more perfectly because you, obviously, yeah, I agree. You get everything that you want to from the first film, but you're like. I could totally, I could see a future for this film. I don't necessarily have questions about what happened. Like, I wanted to see Chase up. It's like, I want to see what happens next. And that's just like, that's how you do it. That's yeah. how it should be done. Well, has it been ahead far too much? I just want to say, that, that Jake, that thing you said about exposition at the beginning, it really reminds me of something you said, Rob, in the very first episode we ever did of all this, when we were talking about the Star Wars opening crawl. And I remember you made this observation, which I really liked, which was that, Every film, especially big like high concept fantasy ones, yeah, need, every film needs exposition, and there are good and bad ways to do it. And if you're gonna do it, you might as well just do it with some flair and just deliver all your exposition at yeah. the very yeah. beginning. 
And I just think this is a similar sort of concept mm. where there's a lot of information they need to get across right away for you to have even a basic understanding of the film. So just do it and do it in a memorable way with big flashy music and in a visually striking yeah, yeah. way. Just but do what, it. Well, Star Wars is like, you know it's an exposition dump because it's literally scrolling text. This doesn't feel like one, even though mm. it is one. I think it does, but it's I don't not think Star Wars crawl really feels like one either, because yeah. it's like it's it's the fact that it's it's visually it's more distinctive and iconic than the information that's actually there. Like I was yeah, thinking about this with Star Wars, where it's like if you're gonna do exposition, you might as well have it in a way that no one else has done it before, that no one else has even tried to do since, because if they do anything similar, they will immediately look like they're copying it. Yeah, do it with a great score have it run away from you, essentially, so you have to read at the speed that it's going. Don't do it like June does it. Yeah, I remember you talking about that as where, well. <laughs> yeah, where they have that woman come in, give you loads of information and fade out, then fade back in and go, oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> well, really? and, then, and then do more information. Oh, yeah, terrible, Speaking terrible of film. terrible exposition, yeah. my least favourite bit of exposition is in Suicide Squad. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you mean the whole You're first bring up that for well, The first half an hour of the film... Is Batman sat in a restaurant? No, it's the only other Sorry, with, um, yeah, t- well, like some sort of agent or someone sat in a restaurant hearing about all of these supervillains yeah. and having flashbacks to how v- Batman has somehow battled them, and it gives them like gives them all a profile with like this is their powers, this is it's what they hideous. do, yeah. and it's like it's literally mm. just someone talking to another character about, and this is who is going to be in this film, and this is who's going to be in this film, oh, very and this is going to be in this film. We need the audience to know, so I'm telling you about them now. Yeah, <laughs> and it's funny you mentioned that because it's just reminded me. Um, the very first trailer that came out for Guardians of the Galaxy it sort of looks like they'd be doing that because they have sort of like the police call where I it's like, this. you know, it's Drax, the destroyer, and, and that doesn't appear in the film. But then it's like, you know, it's Groot and it's Raccoon. And you might think from the trailer, like, oh, that's, we're going to see that in the film. You know, it's going to be an exposition dump. But then they sort of invert it. And it's like, no, it's just the, it's just the police roll call, you know? Because yeah. we already kind of got shown a little bit beforehand. Yeah. As you're saying, there, there are right and wrong ways to do it. And this and film the Star Wars comp- Sorry, go on. Uh, just to try and link us back to the film we're supposed to be talking about, <laughs> yeah. the film doesn't have those exposition problems that Dune and Suicide Squad and other terrible exposition films have. Um, because you know all the characters really well, really quickly, um, without actually having them explain to you. I mean, they, they are explained to you who they are, but they're done through character-driven plot. Mm. and through. Do you know, the, the best introduction to a relationship within this film is the one between Dash and Frozone, where Frozone answers the door and the door opens and Frozone is like immediately comes across as like the cool family friend like the uncle and then Dash goes hey Lucius and he goes like that and then he spits the water out and Frozone's like whoa Whoa. and then introduces his power again Yeah. yeah and it introduces the relationship that he has with Dash which is like this kind of playful oh he's an uncle but not really an uncle kind of I, th- I think that's a really just dead snappy, great animation that's with it. Point. It's a cool effect. Yeah, I always yeah. like that. You know, I don't know why. Yeah, and I Dash does the whole. Um, cool. Oh, I like it when it shadows. But yeah, yeah. you get so it's much history. Because yeah, yeah, you get his history. Yeah, it has those family members where you have like an inside joke with them. You have a thing, yeah. and it just it feels like a relatable thing that you can get. There's so there's so much of that in this film where it's they take these superhero concepts, but they're actually relatable things. Like the whole thing that you were saying before about um, Mr. Incredible wanting to go back into fighting, and it's basically expressed as a midlife crisis, yes. essentially. 
they they keep using the superpowers and the and the situations that they're in to express normal human things. And yeah, they well, they they, they, they ground them in a yeah. sense of yeah. like normal human reality, yeah. which yeah. is. Check out it. I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure it's the point. And they do yeah. that really quickly yeah. from the beginning of the scene mm-hmm. by just um, completely changing the world. So the very opening um, part, you've got all of the, it's set in the sunset, so you've got all these red mm-hmm. colours. Oh, they're gorgeous. Orange, it's really yeah. vivid. You've got the cityscape. You've got a really nice, you've got like a wedding going on. You've got all this action. And suddenly it just switches to a completely different world where you're in an office all of the colours are suddenly stripped back, everything's desaturated, yeah. everything's white, everything's grey, yeah. Um, yeah. all the characters look entirely normal, there's nothing exciting about Ooh. them. It, it, the situation completely changes, and they manage to do... It, it's a it's such a contrast. I want to disagree on um, one between, what? Sorry. <laughs> it, it's only because you kind of said while we're watching Andy that, oh, he doesn't, Mr Incredible doesn't really look like he's changed. And partially what I love about that is, like, really he gets the most development on that end and it's not just the fact that you know he gets Special fat on his waist yeah I was going to say <laughs> yeah. development well, on his waist but like the differences with him are cool like I only noticed like midway through when he's been held up in the prison not going is he's balding for instance yeah, like, yeah, yeah they get his hairline yeah. back he, at the same point that I noticed that where he's held up in the thing yeah is, and it, where his head's down because he just thinks <laughs> his wife's dead and Mirage comes in and goes up to him to release him and you see the top of his head yeah. like the detail of his balding and stuff is really good so yeah I noticed that as well. he's very visibly aged and, mm. uh, but very subtly at the same but time I think, I think they make a point of yeah. doing it at that point because that's when you see him at his lowest yeah. so he looks the most vulnerable and he looks the most aged at that point yeah. just gets way ahead there but I'm glad we both. I, if we both notice yeah. that, then it's quite, it's quite obvious <laughs> that they've made a point of showing him aged at that point of his mm. arc. Well, I think we, we should draw attention to just like that whole. I mean, I know it's kind of one of the basic concepts of the film, but I think it does deserve some credit. I think that's never really been done before. This idea of what happens to superheroes when they get older, yeah, and they've got to do a domestic life. Like it's it's this concept that we never see. Like you know, it will happen to them all. Spider Man has got a secret identity. He will get old one day and presumably get an office job. Well, not if they keep recasting him all the time. Yeah, (laughs) you know what I mean. It's just it's 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 such a simple idea that when they do that snap cut to the office, as you say, and it's suddenly all grey, and you suddenly get this entirely different story, and you're like, oh. This is a different way of looking at superheroes. Yeah. It's a great, great concept. One thing, though, I, I mean, you've made... I think it's weird. I've just thought about it now, and I, I do wonder. Um, is There's obviously there's a 15-year time skip, and the way the world is beforehand and the way the world is after, obviously there's a difference with how people think about supers, for instance. But if you're looking at the aesthetic, it still stays within this... 60s zone in both yeah years. i'm gonna go futuro retro 60s yeah. or something With i think it's supposed to be in the 60s and then it's 15 years later when they do the jump so presumably that's like what Mm. 70, 78, 79, something along those lines. I think it's, I think it's linked with the Bond thing that you mentioned. It's yeah. it's deliberately kind of like that whole still uses the just the updated version of Aston Martin. Yeah, yeah it's, not, it's not. I don't think it's. I don't think there is a specific time set, and I think it's an aesthetic. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think there's very much conversations to be had about the whole aesthetic of this film and what it borrows elements of other films from and what yeah. films it borrows from. Because if you do a superhero film now. Um, you've got so much inspiration to draw on from superhero films. You've got the current like crop of Marvel and DC. Not that you'd ever draw from a DC film any inspiration, uh, but you've got <laughs> you know, you've got so many films you can draw from that are recent that make sense for a superhero film. But when The Incredibles came out, sure there were a couple of superhero films, but they were either made back in the sixties and seventies anyway, 
Um, or, or they weren't really yeah, that it wasn't market. the market yeah. that it is now. Yeah, it's, it's nowhere near the same market it was now. So instead, The Incredibles decides to draw from um, a lot of the classic spy films, like James Bond, like in its music and in a lot of its the way it does things, very similar to Bond films like you've already mentioned. Yeah. Um, so it's obviously, again, we'll talk about this when it comes to Incredibles 2, but it's, it, it's interesting to see how the franchise is sort of sticks with that later on as it goes on yeah, sticks with its own style yeah. and it's created yeah. Yeah. rather it's, than borrowing from all the other superhero films yeah. and, the, and the thing is it, it, it's such a clear influence like the Bond I'll go much more into the music later but the music and the visual style and the cars and stuff it's so clearly early James Bond inspired but it's a superhero film and it's so slickly done that it doesn't quite occur to me a lot of the time that those yeah. genres actually don't they're, they're actually very different genres they don't mm. match I know there was stuff in the 60s like the Avengers or the Prisoner or whatever that of both but still mm. it's a very big genre mashup that is so slickly done that you don't even really notice well, it the, yeah. they're both I think to be fair although the genres are different they're both tied by the common theme of having to lead a secret double life and yes yeah, he, yes. he, he marries them even though he's a superhero he's, the way that they treat him here is more like he's some sort of double agent that's yeah. got this secret yeah. life and secret identity behind him that he's got to you know um, sneak off with and it's why you've got all this sort of stealth style music and all these stealthy scenes because that's the sort of setting that it's going for. Yeah. And I think, like you said, even though superhero films are different, very different now um, compared to what a spy film would be, this one is almost more of a spy film than it is a superhero film. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I would say it's, mm. it's definitely... Or an been espionage written, film. It's definitely mm. been written as an espionage thriller, not as a superhero film. But, the superhero yeah. film is the gimmick to the super, to the spy film, not the other way around. The spy film is what it is, and then the superhero thing is it is the sort of extra additional. Yeah, you can tell with the um, the kind of. I mean, I don't know what the. It's like that. I think it's a cornet or something that plays where Mister Incredible's flying to the island for the first time and he's eating the shrimp and yeah. you get the. Yeah. It sounds like a yeah. uh, like a cornet with one of those things. It, 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 sound, it does sound like yeah. a muted. Yeah, it was with one it's of those like things. Mean, in if, you, if you ever want to yeah. make a spy. Movie, Muted Trumpet. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and you, you mentioned as well, like, Muted Trumpet is there again, just after he's had the video call and he's wondering what decision he should do and he sits back and he looks at all his posters and it sweeps across all his... Yeah. Yeah. And again, you've got a big version of the Incredible Suite. Well, not a big version, but it's um, a spy version of the Incredible Suite, yeah. essentially. And it's, um, it, it's really yeah. cool how it sort of defies genres in that way. But what? also, uh, I mean, sorry not to kind of uh, jump in too, too far, but... Um, even with that, it's still kind of nice how it brings it home in some very key point ways. Like, for instance, in the end, it's not like there's an implication, yeah, that Syndrome, if he if he's allowed to run rampant, he would threaten the world. But at the time of this film, it's just the city that's being threatened. Like how a yeah. it's like I gotta save the city. It's like that kind of even though it's an espionage film in a sense, and those are like you know. Like Doctor No will threaten the world. It's like nah, Syndrome's just threatening the home city, which doesn't even get a name, but it's just treated as like Metropolis. Yeah, I was going to say just Metropolis. <laughs> it's just, but that's that's a actually it does have a name. It does have a name because when Mister Incredible is reading the newspaper, the name of the news, the ah. name of the city is the name of the new. It's like there's something something journal or that's a, a really good idea of, that's a really good that's a really good example of how this film handles its exposition it doesn't give you useless information like the name of the city that you don't need to know 
that most superhero films will give you. Like at some point they will say, you know, a character will have a voiceover saying that they live in such and such a city. Mm. It's not information you need to know because it's not relevant to the plot and it's not relevant to anything that's yeah. going on in the yeah. film. Metroville. 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 The information the information's there. The information's there if you if you want to find it and you want to look for it by reading the newspapers that are on the film. But it's not thrown in your face and it's not taking up space that doesn't need to take up. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think I think it's although it delivers exposition, it delivers exactly the exposition that you need, which is much harder than it sounds. Much, much harder than it sounds. That is the key to script writing, basically. Exactly. Yeah. It's to give the information all the information they need and nothing. It's more. what it's what gets the ball rolling for the rest of the film, really, yeah. isn't it? Because it can run so smoothly because it's got such a good push up. Yeah. Uh, it, the newspaper's called the Metroville uh, Metroville Tribune or Tribune. Tribune. Mm, yeah. Chicago Tribune is a I think while we're kind of on the topic of you know how of styles and in this instance we've been talking about sort of genre I think if we can sort of also see how that's explored visually as well maybe like how the film looks because we kind of noted well you you noted Andy in the beginning well, I think it was Andy anyway where you know when like Elastigirl sort of like making her escape like after she's sort of like beating that robber and she's like I'll, I'll, I'll see you at some point. It was Jake who mentioned Jake, this. yeah. Oh, the terrible graphics. Yeah, it's like, it's it's weird. I wrote it down. The graphics are very up and down in a way. Like, they don't all receive equal treatment. Some yeah, some bits look really beautiful and then other bits look a bit ropey. Yeah. It's, it's very yeah. different to, because we just watched Finding Nemo and we pointed out, because, mainly because it's in the sea and it doesn't have to have quite as much detail in the background as the rest of the films. By far the best looking, and there's very few ropey bits mm. in Finding Nemo. Whereas in this film, there are a lot of like weird floor textures. There's um, there's a scene where Dash is running across the water really fast, and if you look at the rocks on the side, it looks like they're from um, an early Far Cry game. Yeah, uh, it's it, there's some bits of it that don't look great. But all the things that need to look good do look good. Yeah, like the characters and stuff. Like mm. um, the detail on the characters is awesome. The, you know, even the her, like you can see in the oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, we were trying to work out what the thing was with this Pixar it's film and like hair. Yeah, hair. Like Violet's uh, hair is the single best animated thing. The thing the thing yeah. is though, is that it's we've said this plenty of times, but every time we watch this film we talk about this, don't we? And that we really don't know to what extent it's looking ropey and to what extent it's deliberate. We really, really don't know. Like, yeah. Especially the cityscape where it in looks. Yeah. You know, like is those, it intentionally um, blocky, like the Spider-Man Two PS2? Yeah. Well, you know, like you know, like in old fifties movies where you need a city backdrop and you'd have like a cardboard yeah. box to represent. So is that deliberate? It looks like that, and yeah. I'm sure that must be deliberate. But you yeah, don't but know, then, really. But then you look at other areas of it, like that cityscape scene there. Yeah, the buildings in the background look blocky and look not very detailed and you could say that's deliberate but then you look at the floor that the characters are on and it's a very low resolution blurry texture yeah. and you're looking at it and you think how on earth have the animators missed how low quality that I is know, and not yeah. just updated the mm. texture on it, there it feels almost like too miss like too big a miss because mm. i mean you'd expect from like an animation studio like pixar even in 2004 like they don't drop the ball and because like that. they've already done a film that looks graphically better than this. Unless mm. for some reason they were making this film before they made Finding Nemo or something. Um, they've got the technical ability to like iron out a lot of these yeah. issues that are originally there in Toy Story 1 in abundance and slowly start to fade out as Pixar goes on. But they don't in this film for some reason. Yeah. I think mistakes are made. Mistakes are made. Yeah. I think even in the most polished production. 
Mistakes are made. In the end of the day, all films have bad line, don't they? <laughs> yeah, guess. even the thing where every single shot pays attention to detail. You know, Stormtrooper Banks yeah. said, the Doctor Who 50th anniversary special features an accidental shot of the script. You know, it happens. Big mistakes are made. Yeah. <laughs> it gets into the film. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, ultimately, it's sort of, again, not to kind of go too much into the sequel, but it does, it redeems that kind of idea eventually, 10, ten or so years after, but within this, I, I agree, it's like, you don't know if they were trying to, I think I would have liked it if they were a bit more clear, like, are we going to try and borrow a little bit more Art Deco to kind of disguise what we can't do yet, mm. or... Is this literally like we can't do it? We're blatant. That's but, then I, it. but then I like the mystery of not knowing because it's this this visual style that's very, very individual. I, I, I like not knowing. Do you know what I mean, Jake? Yeah, but they could have like they could have made the visuals a very distinctive style like the doo doo. <laughs> without the mis- without, without the mistakes that they make along the way and just tidy up a bit, make a little yeah. bit. Obviously, they could they probably couldn't because they had a deadline of some sort. But um, anyway, that's like one of the very few criticisms I have of this yeah. film. I, that, is, I think uh, very mistakes get made. Exactly, some very like minor points. The film doesn't yeah. look amazing. It, it does like most of which least. is in that first section of yeah. the film. Like lighting, at the very least, is kind of like saved. Like if. You can forget the shapes. There's some shots with the lighting where I think it's incredibly very nice to look at. Like when Mr. Incredible was accessing the computer and it's in the dark. Yeah. And you see it bouncing off his suit. But I think, that, again, that's more of a case of the direction than it is the technology at the time. Because mm. that looks really good. But then you look at the lighting in, say, the forest scenes oh, where you're supposed to have this really lush, yeah. green, vibrant forest. It's and like it's Because there's two... There's, too oh, much, there's too much going on there. Yeah. Again, it looks more like a sort of dark, muddy, muted video game because they've yeah, just not got the, the sound. The drawing there. rate, yeah, like the drawing yeah, rate's just too close. Yeah, there's a fine line between how good the technology is mm. and the art direction because, as far as I'm concerned, good art direction and good direction in general is not limited by technology. Exactly. Like, you've yeah, got, exactly. you know, I've got old video games that look like absolute crap now, but because of their art direction that they took, like, are still somewhat timeless. Yeah, and hence why I think if they maybe push the boat out and went a little bit more Art Deco, we probably won't be having this kind have of discussion. Have it more stylized. Like, yeah, just a little bit more. It would have mm. helped, like, 5 10 percent And because I can contribute basically fuck all to this bit of the conversation, <laughs> I've been Googling for Easter eggs <laughs> okay. uh, in The Incredibles. So in the wedding scene... It's Rob's Easter egg time. Yes. And for, you know, one time only. On the, uh, on the front row of the, uh, the wedding... Uh, it, at the very, very beginning, are uh, Gazer Beam, Edna, yeah. mm-hmm. and um, Rick, Rick Dicker, from, yeah. who's like a main character in the second Rick film, uh, right next to uh, Frozone. I know it's Rick and, uh, and Edna. Also, Gazer Beam, the first LGBT Gaze- character. How is, he, how is he? Yeah, I'm curious. Like, is that actually a thing? No, but he's not gay as the first syllable of his name. I'm going to take it. <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, and I think behind them at the wedding, you've got uh, one of the superheroes or two of the superheroes. Three, in fact, all of the superheroes. I think three of them are mentioned there actually, who died because of their capes. They're all sat behind Edna at the wedding. Ah, oh. really? So that was quite recent that that I th- happened. Then. I think that's yeah. So that you know, that's one link. And also, I looked into the Metroville Tribune, and it seems that the newspaper that um, Robert Parr is reading in one scene is dated 1962. Oh, oh. Is the year that James Bond started. 
So I suppose uh, that's kind of a small little like time. Yeah, I think it's more. I still think it's more of an aesthetic thing. Like we're living in a sixties where so. technology is advanced. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Where they have weird computers. But yeah, no, th those are my uh, contributions. Really so that, that's the that's yeah. my Rob's Easter egg corner is is closer business. Um, <laughs> getting back into the um, the film, what do we make of uh, Mirage? Because Mirage is kind of like the perfect foil for she's um, a, she's for a classic yeah. Bond woman. Yeah. Other, yeah, that's the thing. I get that that she's she's the Bond femme fatale. Other than that, I just don't know what to think about her. She is kind of presented as like <laughs> no. the femme fatale who femme fatale who like been at the Bond thing of like yeah, give her on from me. So. <laughs> <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But then eventually, we finally saw Rob's true form as a, <laughs> as a pub going geezer. <laughs> but then, boys, lad. I think as. As the film kind of progresses, I think she becomes actually she instead of just scouting Mr. Incredible, she becomes sympathetic towards him. And I think as she becomes sympathetic towards him, she eventually becomes the person who by the end of her arc she says, you know, like, how do we get into the computer? Say please. Yeah. And she's just a nice person who was misled initially, but was basically I mean, she was basically given a load of shit by Syndrome and she fell for it. Yeah. And yeah. she, I mean, she said, I mean, she's I, obviously she said, a very like, good I'm life. To I mean, power, yeah, she it? says, I'm attracted to power and Syndrome appeared to have a lot of it when clearly quite a lot of it was just for show. Yeah. And, go on, sorry. It just means that she's kind of like, oh, you know, that's my weakness. I am no longer attracted to power. I am now attracted to oh. a strong family dynamic of superheroes. Or is she attracted to yeah, more attracted to Mr. Incredible because he's actually more powerful? Maybe. Like in past I, I mean, I don't, think, I, mean, I, know, I, don't think, I don't think it's that cynical. I do think she genuinely becomes nicer. Yeah, as yeah because there's a whole, your family survived the crash! And like, <laughs> yeah. Excellent impression. <laughs> there's, there's too many maybes, though. This the thing that I, I get that the idea is that it's this quiet little subplot that has a lot of, you know, uh, oh, what's the story there and mm. stuff? I think it's maybe a little bit too quiet, and so it. Maybe. It's, it's not she's not really, like a major character or anything like that. It's just, just, yeah. She does it's play a major a role, deal. and so it's kind of like every every other character is so well rounded, and their motivations are so clear, and their relationships are so clear. And then she's just kind of drawn in quite broad. Well, it's Mirage, though. That's, that's the name. Well, well yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, that's speaking, point. speaking of a name, because you very clearly borrow, borrow a lot of elements of her as a bongo. Like, she's just this random character that has, doesn't have much of a backstory. Why didn't they borrow the naming convention of just giving her like, a really obviously sexual name? Pussy Galore. Yeah. Dr. Goodhead. Dr. Goodhead. Yeah. Pussy Galore. Yeah, yeah. Pussy plenty of tool. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, get okay. it. It's the, it's the um, American Dad thing. It's the sex pun. The like, sex pun to come. Yeah. Yeah. Why didn't they do that? We were saying though that like up until the point where um, the rest of the Parr family are sort the of like the Parr family that are coming to the island. <laughs> oh yeah. Wait. Small thing. It, it was like a like bit average. of average. Because like a par, yeah, par, like yeah. A, oh, you know, I never yeah, even. Oh so. my gosh. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. average, incredible. It's like you know. Oh but until they come to the island, the film is like, it's not like a deliberate slow burner or anything like that, but it does kind of take its time and it explores mm. way more like serious themes. I think this is why Edna is so important at the yeah. point that she is, because yeah. it's pretty heavy loaded, like 40, first 40 minutes are like pretty heavy stuff. But it's it's all... I mean, there's a suicide attempt in uh, the first five I minutes. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> that was like... From a tower. Whoa. 
Yeah, I think there must be something more to that. Because like they tried a suicide. It's obviously yeah. not meant to be taken too seriously because a couple of seconds after a guy tries to kill himself, you have a comedy French villain called Bon I don't think he meant to yeah. th think about those serious things too heavily. And I, yeah, there are a lot of relatively heavy things going on throughout the film, but they're all punctuated with comedy so often throughout mm. the film. But I don't think they're meant to be as serious as as they're made out to be at it's some hench. point. Yeah. It's no, but it's it's another nice little aspect of you know this is it's painted quite realistically. Yeah, it's yeah. a real world. Yeah. And mm. speaking of the real world, um, the um, one of my favourite things about the film, again talking about my favourite scene, which is the argument around the table scene, is um, again how realistic they make it, but it's so much fun to watch. Um, because it's relatable in that they're having a family argument and you're looking at them and it's like, oh, I could, you know, I, that could be my family happening there. But there's also superpowers going on. Yeah. Like, it's, it's so cool. They, they use them naturally, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, to be honest, the, the par family dynamic, I mean, you were saying before this film that, like, Jake, that your favourite aspect of it is, like, just the dialogue between the family. And, I mean, that scene where the, the plane is destroyed by... Um, the missiles that really then oh, begins to God, open yeah. up where the family actually stand with each other because obviously like mr mm. incredible robert is completely crushed thinking about it to the point where like he is nearly at the point where he could physically crush um mirage, mirage. but then yeah. obviously you know he lets it go but then there's that really i mean it's probably my favorite bit of the film actually just that conversation between helen and Violet, and Violet yeah, outside the cave. That's yeah. well, it's, it's, it's showing Violet's insecurity as a teenager in her own abilities, and that she yeah. doesn't think she's good enough. And I think it is the moment where Elastigirl, where Brad Bird kind of goes, right, this is the point where Elastigirl is going to be like, hmm, maybe I should let my gifted and talented children mm. go and, and do something kind of wonderful. For us, for yeah, us, yeah, and I bet they would have been on the school's gifted and talented register. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I suppose. Just, uh, I don't know, it kind of feels like a way in. Um, like, the whole point of, like, gifted versus non-gifted. Um, are we okay to kind of broach that a little bit? Or? Well, I, there's a there's a point about that as well, which I think is sort of quite underplayed, which is that the, the whole argument around not um, supporting Dash with his obvious gifts, you know, it, it's, it's framed around, you know, this is not fair on Dash. But then it's in the context of, that Bob has just had this terrible yeah, day at work and his mediocre job that he's sick yeah. of and he's had this horrible time home and he's accidentally smashed his car with his abilities and stuff. And obviously it's about him, really. And she points that out. Yeah. Helen points that out and says, this is not about you. And a lot of the time I didn't really understand that line because he's talking about Dash, but then I thought, well, no, hang on. This is about him because he's clearly been through this before. Mm. It's as much about him not being able to express his obvious talents oh, as an yeah. adult, That's what I, which is a, which is a thing that I'm sure a lot of parents experience, which is that they can't be themselves anymore once they've got kids to look uh, after. Well, that's yeah. what I like about Elastigirl so much is that she she knows that straight away. She already understands that yeah. um, he's taking these issues with Dash and projecting his own feelings onto Dash, and that's why he's so egging him on with his yeah. superpowers and stuff. Yeah. And she knows that straight away, and she's that's why she says this is not about you. So firmly because she's trying to put him in his place. Yeah. And it's, it's it's a very emotionally intelligent way to handle the film. Like it's 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 there's a lot of they, thought going mm, into They it. feel yeah. like they have a real adult relationship. Yeah, yeah. That, um, when you were a kid, obviously you've never experienced that sort of relationship before, so it's sort of difficult to relate to. But obviously, as you grow up, as as so often with Pixar, <laughs> they're pretty intuitive kids as well. Because when yeah. they're having that argument after uh, Bob has come back from 
knocking down that um, oh, that building. It was on fire. It's going to come down anyway. Yeah, that would be. Is that a bubble? Um, <laughs> uh, Elastigirl is uh, like, oh, you know, mum and dad are just having a discussion. Sounds like a pretty loud discussion. Yeah. <laughs> dad. And, you know, the, 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 there's no flies on them, essentially. Like, you know, yeah. And it's, again, this idea that Violet and Dash are kind of intelligent beyond their years, I think. And they're mm. kind of, they're gifted. Obviously, they're gifted beyond their years. But, like, they, they've... I don't know, because like you go right back to the beginning of the film and Violet wants to be normal because I mean she says like, you know, we, we pretend to act normal, but I want to be normal. The only normal one is Jack Jack and, and he's, he's not like, even toilet trained. <laughs> it all stems yeah, really, doesn't it, from the, from, from a, a surely a conversation, a fundamental conversation that we never see, which is that at some point earlier in their lives they both sat down and said, You're both incredibly talented. Super special powers. We have to. You can never ever use them. Yeah. And for a kid, that would be a turning point in their childhood. Yeah. And that's a conversation that we never see. And I feel like, especially Violet, that informs everything about her. Yeah, it's clear that the kids are obviously a little bit more intelligent than the norm anyway, but that's because they've been, they've got, they've got these gifts and they're raised in this environment with the parents where they've got these gifts and they're not allowed to use them so they already have a lot of conflicts in their lives that they have to deal with before they even manage to reach maturity so because they've got more to deal with they have to grow up after you said so it just makes them more interesting kids they're not annoying children like Dash is the sort of character where at this age he would be an annoying character on screen I know and Dash yeah as a character, could so easily be a really annoying, like, sort of like. Well, he's very smug and up himself. Yeah. yeah, he is. But like at the same time, he's really endearing because he's got, yeah. he's just got this gift that he just wants to show off. Like, you, you're wondering why they don't let him run on the track team. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why don't they let him show off this power that he's got? So he's understandable as to why he's such a bit of a prat sometimes. But he, and he's just very relatable. As a he's a little, yeah, he's a little boy, you know. Mm. I mean, he's that kind of striking mm. that tone. Tiny and, boy, and little it, boy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, to I carry think, on with the Sunday references yeah. <laughs> and you've made me realise and this is kind of great is I think the same if you look at the way sort of the family feels about how they can't use the gifts and they you know, kind of want to be normal you can also contrast that with how Syndrome feels and to, to a degree how the audience feels where maybe you know you want something special and I think that's mm-hmm. tying into why the moral of the film is very well executed but I find it hard to totally agree is because I think mm. what it implies to me is that the people who are naturally great should be given a chance to rise up but what if you want to rise up and you just don't have a talent to yourself or like a certain skill yeah you have the ability it, to work hard but you're not quite there's nothing to hone in on like yeah. it's not really your fault like it's not yeah, really it's, fair this film for very obvious reasons plays into the idea of having natural born talents and that's like which that. somebody like Brad Bird yeah. who can make a film like this obviously has Mm. To, be, to yeah. be fair, I don't think they're actually trying to answer that. No, I raise the question. They're just raising the question. I don't think they're answering it. I think they're just raising it. Yeah, the like I, there's obviously quite a theme about um, whether about letting natural, as Rob said earlier, letting people who are naturally talented like um, use a gift for good and stuff. But I don't think it's supposed to be as heavy as we're making the theme it to be. No, I, guess, I think it's even still. I think it's a theme that's just happens because of the consequences of the events of the film. I don't think it's something that's intentionally put in there. So um, it, I think it's just being yeah. raised as something to think about. Exactly, yeah. It, it's not, but then at the same time it when it when I finish watching the film like we just have now, it always leaves me with a little bit of kind of like a brush shoulder kind of feeling because I'm like, well, okay, what if I like, I kind of wish we'd gotten a character like Syndrome who maybe wanted to be super, 
but ultimately didn't get the chance and like they've not taken it to such an extreme but maybe they kind of they felt that like Rick Dicker for instance I mean we don't really get much about him and that's fine that enigmatic character yeah but maybe the <laughs> fact that he's kind of working so closely or has worked in like a super kind of department is perhaps yeah enough. there was someone who didn't take it quite so to heart in the way that Incredible yeah. Syndrome buddy did yeah but maybe you know that kind of all started with this initial urge of I kind of want to be on a similar level you know I kind of want to be doing great things it's I, I, I get, I get yeah. this, and I get that, you know, I understand the need for more nuance with it and stuff, but it is a kid's film. It is. You have to have a plain, clear-cut villain in every kid's film at the end of the day. Mm. This is just the way it is. It's just what if a kid yeah. kind of thinks, I don't have anything, I, I'm not like, you know, one of the Incredibles. It just, I, obviously, the question, it's not meant to be followed this far, but I have uh, to think about Yeah, but it. The, the Incredibles isn't the only sort of film to do this. I mean, everything that a kid watches has usually got some sort of protagonist that's got ultra special gifts and oh so special powers um, to quote syndrome um, mm, you know you and it's, it's, it shoes. doesn't make the kids sad to sit there thinking oh I can't do this it makes them pretend that they are those characters that you get up yeah. and pretend you've got those powers and that you can do all those incredible things that they can do in reality a lot of the things that I don't want to sound corny here but a lot of the things that make the Incredibles incredible is not necessarily the powers it's a way that they grow as a family and develop their relationships over mm. time and, and the I way think, they begin to understand each other. Yeah, exactly. The, a lot of point in the film is not necessarily um, how do we develop our powers and how do we use our powers for good. It's how do we sort out our lives despite the fact we've got this thing with us that's so unique and so different. Which is what all the best superhero films are about. It's not about the powers. It's about how do they manage it within their yes. lives. Yeah. I think maybe... And okay, maybe I am sort of you know, placing my own thoughts too hard on this, but... At the very least, maybe it can be inferred at the end when they all have dashed to compete and they're like, yo, c control your speed, only come second. It's like, you know, he's sort of been allowed to be special, but there's a bit of skill to that now. You know, like they're thinking about it. And I like the idea of that. Because <laughs> I always find that was a little bit yeah. of a weird scene, though, because he's quite clearly has to put minimal effort to come in second. I mean, like, is that, for, is that either fair on him or on his track mates? Like, he's, does he really deserve a. a um, to get second place and get a silver medal for barely putting any effort into well, the track I mean, race. If he, if he wants yeah, it. Yeah, but he's so happy with that silver yeah, trophy by the end. And it's cool. It makes me think that like, all he wanted was some recognition. Like, there is a yeah. middle ground. He wanted some recognition. He didn't want to be king of the world. Yeah. To, you know. yeah. It's like with hard work and allowing yourself to be special, you can truly get the best. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, could we talk about the way... I mean, I, I guess that we've kind of, kind of naturally reached the end point of the film just by talking about all the characters actually <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean but I, I really well, this is just a, again a good point of how yeah. structured this film is around its characters yeah. but I, I want to talk about how so goddamn playful this film is with the with the powers that they've oh, given oh, the characters God, yeah I love them it's so, it's it's so much fun I mean yeah. the amount of times we've like hysterically laughed at like how are you doing, honey? I don't. Do I have to answer? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's like, you can feel the strain, and like every time Elastigirl is like bending or twisting mm, or, or turning into yeah. a parachute or a boat. She might, she might be the most yeah. fun to look at. Like, in, oh yeah, not like no, that. No, no, that like, no, 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 no. Yeah. But like, her powers are just like the most like taken advantage of. Like, there's so much. Yeah, there's a, there's a hell of a lot to play with, and like I love the um, the kind of like the montage that um, Edna takes them through of how the uh, the suits that she's designed can fit everything, yeah. and I love the way that the film thinks about when Violet hides under the water, 
and he throws the yeah. mud into the water so that it can fit around the shape. You can't hide from me. And I, it's something that when I was a kid, I was always like, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty clever. I like that. I like what they've done there. And I mean, with Mr. Incredible, it's like there's not much you can really play with. He just kind of yeah. has brute force. But then like they get dashed to run on. Maybe that's it. Maybe like all of his family have more special powers than he does. And yeah, maybe. it's like he's the strongest, but also kind of maybe not the strongest. Yeah, exactly. You know, and Dash running on water realising that he could do it and then laughing to himself and then that, that bit where he's running on land and then it's like yeah and then it's the just and then there's that right. cut of silence and then he, he looks down at his own feet and he just goes <laughs> like that and he's like yes yeah. you know this is like this is the kind of stuff that I've always wanted to do and I then am literally got, Jesus and, yeah. then, and, then he, and then he runs across the, um, the sea and then it, 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 the camera cuts back and you've got this massive blast of music going on at the same time that just sort of lifts it all and makes yeah. it yeah. so good and like, it's not so bad the way that I mean and then again in the end like it's the way they defeat the uh, the robot in the city it's just by kind of like pressing buttons. Yeah. I mean, they First survive. Button, got yeah. it. I mean, they use their powers to like survive long enough. But I think if kind of giving away how I feel about the second film, but if there is one thing that the second film does better than the first one, it's how the powers make a fight happen and how they change the direction mm. of each scuffle and fight and bits of conflict. I don't think this film does that quite as well as the second one. But I think yeah. that's just because there are just. There are fewer people with powers yeah. in yeah. the first one, and in the second one, there's probably more room to play with because you can trust it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I, again, to kind of give it away, the fight that Violet and uh, what's her face have, Boyd. Void have in the second film is one of my favourite moments mm. of a film that I've seen this year. Like, it's great. It's and a, such a shame that Incredibles two didn't come out when I was a kid. Um, yeah. To watch again, because again, the thing that I enjoyed so much about Incredibles one while we're on this topic just so satisfying it is to watch him use all the powers it's just yeah, so exactly. much fun isn't I, I mean it? at the end of the yeah. you know at the end of the day it is a kid's film and it's it's fun like you watch most of the fight sequences and powers and stuff like that with this big grin and i think that's what pixar do best sometimes which is like showing you what they've films. made yeah yeah showing you what they've made and then letting you kind of sit and revel in it and letting it kind of wash over you mm. a bit and yeah. Well, this yeah. is one of the things I meant before when um, I was saying how the film has such confidence, and it's it, that you hit on the right word there with how playful it is with the powers. Mm -hmm. and yeah. That it does not care at all about how ridiculous and out there some of the things are, like turning into a parachute or a speedboat, etc. Mm. It just like has a laugh with it. Or like a parachute. Which is the most satisfying yeah. thing ever. And it's but, just it, the, yeah. crea the creativity is just absolutely it's, wonderful. Yeah. It's That's, like. Oh, sorry, but, uh, I was just going to say, it's like every time they use the powers, I get the same feeling like when I'm watching a Star Wars film and someone pulls out a lightsaber, I'm like, oh, they're about to do something cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Totally. Like, it does release you in a kidney. Yeah. And exactly, yeah, it releases you in a kidney because it's just always working on the rule of cool. And as even, <laughs> but that scene you were talking about when Edna is talking about all the suits and all the amazing things he can do. And I just love how so much of it is just impossible or completely contradictory. Yeah. Like, one of my favourite lines in the whole film is when she says, completely indestructible, but breathes like Egyptian god. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Oh, it's just farcical, but it's so funny. But the thing is, it, it's a new feature. It's something that this film can do because it's animated. Yes. Like it's yeah. Not, yeah. It's yeah, got exactly. all of these, like, incredible situations that are really funny. But, like, if you were to take all of the... Like, if you were to take um, a, the Fantastic Four film, for example, and turn Mr. Fantastic into a speedboat, 
It would just look stupid. Like, yeah. in real life, it would just look ridiculous. Well, because this is the first animated superhero film, they can do things like that that are camp and that are really Ooh. funny and that are stupid and are practically impossible. Yeah. But they can make them possible because it fits in the world because it's an animated world. It's and I think that's just yeah. a mentality that we have around animation as well. It's like you go into an animated film ready Expecting to, to see one. something like yeah. that. Yeah, just yeah. yeah. so so see something film. otherworldly just because yeah. they can. Yeah. Oh, something amazing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've got the double whammy of this being a superhero film, so incredible powers and incredible things can happen anyway. I used the word incredible twice, sir. And also, Three times. And, I hope Exactly. And it's also an animated film, so it can go even more bizarre than it usually would if it's a superhero film. And it just makes the film, like Rob said, incredibly playful. And at, <laughs> at those bits where it's having the most fun and being the most creative, it's just an absolute joy to watch. Yeah. It really reminds me of the whole slow build through the film where it delivers on the stuff that it's set up and just has loads of fun with it. It really reminds me of Ant-Man where that kind of builds up throughout the film and when they finally <laughs> yeah. show you the potential yeah. of Enormous Thomas the Tank. Yeah. The enormous Thomas the Tank storming through the building and it's so satisfying when you mm. get the payoffs and The Incredibles is just like that. Yeah, it really... Just like that. Yeah, it sort of like hints it bit by bit by bit and then eventually it's just like... And I was thinking as well, something I, I love... Even though, in a way, they've maybe not earned it, but you can say because the family's brought close together, is as soon as they fight together as a group, they are just perfectly synced. Like, they just. Oh, yeah. Like, fit so Well, that well, cracking and... Avengers style shot yes. that we all picked up on. Your favourite. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Dash yeah. The original uh, Avengers. Yeah. yeah. He creates the dust cloud, and Violet brings up the shield. Oh, that shot of uh, yeah. Violet's, like. Force fields and she's like, like she's got that weird stance. Yeah, like, so she's like some kind of you've magician. Got, you've got those sort of like the, the areas of the force field where the bullets are going, where the force field sort of rippling a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like all the attention to detail. Uh, I mean, this bit of the film feels so satisfying because it really is an Avengers moment. It's finally all the characters are together mm. and they're able to all use the powers together, and it's a, such a big payoff. But it's the attention to detail in all of it as well. The first time that Violet really uses a force field, yeah. she jumps in front of Dash, for example. Mm. And um, Dash is like, what are you doing? And she's saying, I don't, I know. don't know. But the voice yeah. effect is that. really cool yeah. because it's Inflection, in the middle of a force yeah. field. It's the details like that that just make it so much fun to watch because it just feels so good. Yeah, uh, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a point worth making, though, how, like, how ahead of its time it is that it has that Avengers moment way before. I mean, I'm yeah. so conditioned now that when you know when it gets when they all get into the place, I just start hearing burr, 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 burr. eight years <laughs> like before. So many years, yeah, eight yeah. years before. You should yeah. reverse that, yeah. and when you see the Avengers scene, it should go ba da ba ba Like Jeremy Renner just pulls a bow, like Thor and Rocket and Groot turn up at the end. Ba da ba ba da. And so, are we happy to do scores? Yeah, yeah, yeah sure, sure. Right, yeah, so that point already. Andy Gosh. first. Based on past precedent there, ah. I'm going to give this a nine. Why? Because I think it's not like the best of all of them that we've seen so far, and I haven't given anything above a nine so far, so I need to stay consistent with that. But all, all I'm really doing is leaving breathing room for my absolute favourite ones, because there's this maybe a sort of tiny little special, I don't know, this indescribable thing that this film doesn't have that my absolute favourite Pixar films don't have. But it's still a bloody great film, and I like it more and more every single time I watch it. Yeah. Right, uh, Jake? Um, nine and a half. Definitely so far of all the Pixar films, this is by far my favourite one. I guess Toy Story 2 and 9. Um, I just think this is more fun to watch than Toy Story 2. I know Toy Story 2 is a great film, but this is just 
so satisfying to watch. And I just think it's got more going on, to be honest, mm. than any of the other Pixar films so far. I don't know about that one. Well, it, okay, it's your... And it's got some of my favourite characters. Yeah. yeah. In any Pixar. Um, myself, I'm going nine and a half, which is the joint highest... Oh, no, other than Toy Story 2, it is the joint highest rank I've given to any film on this podcast so far. The other one being... Uh, the Last Jedi. The Last Jedi. But no, I, I, I really like this because... It's deeper and slightly more, well, no, way more complex than, it, like, in terms of, like, the themes and emotions that the characters go through. I think it's way more complex and there's more to explore and think about than any Pixar film so far. But I think it's more fun. I think the characters are more well-rounded and richer from the off and they still have places to go even from the beginning. It's got a great villain who's not underdeveloped and is actually quite complex. And... Yeah, I think that maybe there's a couple of missteps with the animation. Maybe I'm not in total agreement. Where I'm not, I don't quite know whether this is the whole celebrated mediocrity thing is something that Brad Bird has a problem with or whether it's just a question he's posing. So, you know, the waters get um, a little murky. I agree with there. that. It's not clear whether the message of the film is a message. Or, or just something just that he's thinking about. He's thinking about yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, th- I think this is excellent. I, oh. I really, really, really think this is good. And the um, music, the music is by far the best yes, thing we've talked about. It, so yeah. Far. Yeah. Well, we've kind of covered it, really. We've brought it up several times, but this is Michael Giacchino, who I'm a huge, huge fan of, by the way. Michael Giacchino's first contribution John to Williams. Pixar. <laughs> well, he's, he's, well, he's, a poor, people call him a poor man's John Williams, but I think, don't, I don't really think that does him justice. His other nickname is kind of Mr. Pixar, like the sound of Pixar, because he becomes that at this point. This is, as a, you know, as a, as a student of film music, this is an exceptionally well put together, well researched score that deserves really special mention. Um, yeah. It, it's the, the amount of homages it pays to the kind of 60s spy thriller type sound and the, the catchiness of all the light motifs as well. I think it's just, oh. I want to like write about it. I want to study in detail because it is so well put together. Easily the most impressive score we've had for Pixar film um, so far, I think. Easily, yeah. The vividness of the score matches the vividness of everything that's on screen. Oh like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can, when I see, when I think of the scenes in my head, I can hear the music at the same time. Particularly yeah. the very start of the end credits of that little do 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 do. You know that that it's just all so memorable that music. Yeah, yeah. It goes right down as far though to like matching with scenes. Like there's there is a scene in um some of the early Bond films where wherever he's in flight or whatever or driving or you. There's this theme called the 007 theme, which is not the main Bond theme. It's a kind of um, elegant, kind of floaty thing. And there is a theme just like that when um, Helen is making the um, hovercraft type thing. Yeah. It sounds exactly like it. And I think the attention to detail, the amount of research is awesome. And that's exactly what I look for in my scores is um, linking to, you know, a canon sounds that has been established mm. and I just, I just research love that stuff. research yeah love it yeah. yeah and joe considering you're the guest you get to go last <laughs> oh boy <laughs> flash <laughs> uh, yeah um okay I, I very i do need to briefly explain something how i'm going to score this there is in my mind like two ways of scoring a film like this there's what i technically think is best and then what i think what i prefer for instance like if I can briefly kind of take by the Disney Renaissance. I think the technically best film from that per- period was Aladdin, but my favorite is Tarzan. Mm-hmm. So saying that, I don't, 
I hate to admit it, actually. Go for a personal preferencing as what this is all about, really. Yeah, well, yeah this is all personal. Yeah. 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 yeah, although I don't think it's technically the... It might not... It might not technically be the best Pixar film. It is still just because of what it presents my favourite, and for that it's a 10, because it ultimately it just wins me over that strongly. Cool. In spite awesome. of some flaws. I just think I, the, the one standout thing about this film is just, it's so much fun. Yeah. It just is. It really is. It's yeah. confident, mm. It's it has time to breathe, but also focuses, its pace is just bang on. Yeah. I think it probably is, with the possible exception of Toy Story 2, I think it is probably the most fun Pixar film, the most consistently, like, rip-roaring adventure type one. Mm. And I think, yeah, that's the highest compliment I can give it, because it's a high bar, because Pixar films are, you know, so consistently entertaining. It is, it is a real highlight, this one, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, Andy, you taking it out? Not with a rifle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking us yes. out for dinner well yeah um, we'll be back next week for uh, a film Cars. which I think most of us will not like as much as this one Cars which clearly the best picks I've uh, ever been made a, a, a brand new thing for me next week in which we'll be watching a film I've never seen you've never seen Cars hey, I've never seen Cars excellent yeah you know, so that's a new one for much. me. I, I'm I'm the newbie next week. Oh I'm my god! Nose roll from last year. Yeah, I give cars a four. We also have um, Ed. Ed next yeah, week. Yeah, my friend Ed will be coming because, to be honest, when obviously because we've been doing the Star Wars season of Rebel Trums now since like March or whenever it was. So obviously, like all of our friends have been kind of like going, oh, you know, I'd like to get on this. I'd like to get on this, and this is why we've had Tony. It's why we've had Jay. It's why we've had Joe. It's why we'll have other guests and stuff but like we couldn't get anybody for cars so we, we, really we had to ask yeah. somebody to come on and so my friend ed who actually i mean it'll give it away slightly but when i was talking about it with him i said would you mind doing the cars episode because we can't find anybody else to do it and he went yeah i actually quite like cars i think it gets a bad rep so i think we'll be in for a good discussion with yeah, that one i'm gonna enjoy there's, that one there's a little prelude cars cars is like it's not actually a bad film it's just no the, just first, the first dip in quality that Pixar yeah. has. I think Why not? So? Yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a blip at this point because the films that come straight after Cars are, again, they're all incredible. Um, mm. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's sort of a bit of an anomaly, this one. Yeah. Obviously, that changes as Pixar goes on and we start to get some noticeable dips in quality. But, yeah, it, it's. I think this one gets a bad rep because it's the first time that it's Pixar has done anything that is anything other than amazing. Less than exceptional. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll totally admit with that, I'm a hypocrite. I mean, I'm not even going to be on for it, but I'm just going to say, I can believe a film about toys that come to life easily, but a film with anthropomorphized cars always it's just never sits well with me. Uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's supposedly, according to the Pixar theory, it's set. Uh, after the universe has ended and cars oh, have taken over. But anyway, thank you very much for joining yeah. us. Though. You've been a very, very, very good guest. Thank, thank you, you very, very much. Me. And uh, we have another sausage fest next week. Um, sadly, oh, God. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 talking females. But the weeks after that, as far as I'm aware, everything we've got for like three, four weeks up to Toy Story three. Up to then, we do have a female. If guest. we were the BBC, <laughs> we wouldn't allow to be be on our right now and on the panel. No, too too much big dick energy. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note <laughs> bye bye darling see, I'll see you later in your dreams <laughs> <laughs> why did you have a big dick thing at the end Joe <laughs>